Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Ah, Brad Garoon, what's going on? It's good. I'm sure our listeners loved hearing that <laughs> noise. How are you? I'm okay. Um, I've got a little bit of an eye injury, but it's not going to stop me from living my life and doing my life. I heard you got some fries equal crack stuck up in your face. You want to hear about it? I would like to hear about your food day. So it started at the New York Best Wings Fest. Oh, man. I saw all the posts, and I'm very, very jealous and very upset. But go ahead. So the New York Best Wings Fest is hosted by Matt Curry, who was the very first guest on this podcast. And you should all go back. Go to uh, schweidandsons.com slash podcast if you're not there already, if you got this on iTunes. Uh, and go all the way back to our very first episode and listen to us talk to the Amazwing, Matt Curry. Um, he put on a heck of an event. I really enjoyed it. Um, Blue Smoke has some incredible wings. Um, they, they changed the recipe last year, and I think for the better. Um, uh, the Ainsworth has great buffalo wings, as does Bounce Sporting Club. A lot of people really liked... I think it was called Turntable. Um, I didn't love that one as much, but but you know the the the, the people have spoken. I can't. I, I, we didn't actually stick around to see who won because um, I went Mike Tanzillo of Burgerlift and I had to leave to go to Brooklyn, and we went to Lighthouse to get their burger, which is a dry aged Fleischer's patty. Um, very good and very reasonably priced for a dry aged patty, which I give them a lot of credit for. Uh, and then we had to leave there to go to Trademark Taste and Grind in Midtown, where they are just doing an incredible, like, stacked burger with Nooski's bacon, and it's so good. And then the cookies that they gave us at the end, there's, like, double chocolate, meaning white chocolate and dark chocolate, or white chocolate and milk chocolate. Salted cookies were out of control. I got home. I was feeling pretty bad about myself because I ate so much. Uh, so today I'm eating late, and, and uh, I have all these pictures to show for it. Nice little Sunday. Brad, where do you find out about all these new burgers? Uh, my email box. So, so the, the main perk of being Burger Weekly is people are always telling you where to find burgers. How come I don't get these emails? You work for Schweidenson's. You get find out where all yeah. the Schweidenson's places are. But I didn't get these emails when I was bred from Burger Conquest. Oh, well, I think the problem was back then. It was just me. It was, well, <laughs> it was, right, right. There, there were fewer of you. And it was like you and NYC Food Guy. And, yep. uh, and, and there was no Instagram to let everybody know who you were back then. But I'll say this, you had, you may have had a different kind of environment, but I'm willing to bet that you had more, a larger share of the foodie audience. You're saying that there, that it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Saturated. You're, you're saying that the audience is saturated because there are so many people doing it now that everybody, it's just noise at this point. Well, I don't know that it's just, well, I'm just noise at this point. I'll, I'm willing to say that, but uh, in general... I do think it's it's harder for any one person to really be a force um, outside of outside of the people who do this for a living. Uh, but the rest of uh, everyone else, I'll say they're they're doing good work. But there's just a lot of them doing good work. No, did you wanna did you wanna say anything about your burger life? I haven't had a burger. <laughs> oh my goodness! The, the, only, okay. the only burger I've had recently was I made cubana fritas again this week. Uh, I think I'm getting much closer to having a, a better recipe. Uh, I did this time consult George's, uh, George Moses' great American burger book. I looked at it and said, hmm, 
I don't keep some of these things in my kitchen, but I have uh, some workarounds, and I made a pretty darn good frita cubana, uh, and I, I gave it to my wife. She put it on her Instagram, and we shared it on, on Schwad and Sons. So if you want to see my frita cubana uh, cooking skills, follow Schwad and Sons on Instagram. Well, my friend, I think that provides a perfect segue to today's topic and guests. Uh, today we'll be speaking to Carlos Gill about Snapchat. He is one of the world's leading Snapchat experts. And it is a channel that, even though I think there's lots of people on, there's lots of room still. I don't think that the saturation, at least from the food perspective, it has happened the same way that it has Instagram. And I definitely think that it requires being a better storyteller than Instagram is. So let's talk to Carlos. He's got a lot of great things to say. Carlos Gill is currently the head of social media marketing at BMC Software. Uh, in the past, he was the global senior social marketing manager at LinkedIn, the head of digital social and social media at Save-A-Lot Food Stores, and a social media manager at Winn-Dixie Stores. Uh, he's known for a lot of things, but is most recognized as one of the most leading marketers using Snapchat today. He has his own marketing podcast called Social 545 and was recently featured as a speaker at Social Media Marketing World 2016. Uh, you can follow him on Snapchat at the Carlos Gill. Carlos, what is a business or individual missing out on by ruling out Snapchat at this point in the game? Wow, we're going to get right into it, aren't we? <laughs> we, don't, we don't play games on the show. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, I, I think what you're missing out on by not being on Snapchat today is really getting at the ground level on what's not just the hottest social network right now, but what will be the hottest social network for the next several years. So for anyone that missed out on getting on Facebook or Twitter early and regrets making that move, this is your opportunity. I think there's still time to get on Snapchat still early in the game. We're talking about social network guys. That's just, you know, barely scratching the surface in, in, you know, in terms of mainstream adoption, uh, five-year-old social network. And uh, when you think about the demographics on Snapchat, they tend to skew a lot younger than Facebook and Twitter. And we saw this happen very early on when Facebook was very much used primarily by college students. Those college students grew up. Those college students went on to pursue jobs. Their parents wound up joining, their grandparents wound up joining Facebook. And then boom, today Facebook is you know what we all refer to as you know the most utilized social network out there. Where we're at today with Snapchat, guys, the reality of it is that's the second most active social network today. So I think for anyone that's on the fence, you know, that's what you really need to know going into this podcast, and especially for those of you that are still on the fence with Snapchat, we're talking about the second most active social network with over 200 million users globally and seeing over 10 billion views per day. So we'll get more into what it means to be the second most active social network out there, but let's, let's back up a little bit. You've had a pretty crazy career story. You used to be in the financial services business. How did you make that transition from that to marketing? Yeah, you know, so I actually started my career in banking. Um, and in 2008, I was working for a company called AIG. And when the economy took a tumble and collapsed, and the banking industry was you know, affected the most. And I was laid off by AIG in November 2008. And without having a college degree to fall back on, without having any, any job opportunities, I had no choice but to turn to social media to really reinvent myself. And the day that I lost my job, which again was November 2008, was the same day that I joined LinkedIn. And you know, trust me, guys, I'm a digital native. I'm you know 32 years old today, but I grew up with social media when it was then known as AOL. So I've been using this stuff for a very long time. And up until this point, I'd never used social media professionally. But I thought to myself, you know what? When I was a kid, I was really good at running chat rooms. 
Um, I was really big into, into pro wrestling and fantasy wrestling back then. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I can, at 13, 14 years old, use AOL and social media successfully, who's to say at 25, 26, I can't use it on a professional level. So it's exactly what I did. I, I got to work, so to speak, on branding myself. Um, through LinkedIn and then through Twitter and Facebook early on. And that spawned into me launching my own staffing firm. And I used to live in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. And I would host these events called Pink Slip Parties, which were essentially job networking events to bring together those that were also affected by the recession and laid off together with companies and recruiters that were hiring at the time. So I did these Pink Slip Parties all over the United States and through my company, Jobs Direct USA, use social media to build a brand for my company and do what brands today are still even trying to figure out, which is how do you build brand awareness? How do you get people to, to care about your brand? How do you get them to buy from your brand? These are all things that I really had to train and force myself to do when social media was still at the ground level. Talk to our audience who I'm guessing for the most part a lot are not on Snapchat yet. Like what, what is Snapchat? What type of content? Uh, is on it and what kind of people are using it. So the easiest way for me to describe Snapchat, guys, is it's Twitter meets YouTube. So Snapchat is part messaging service, part social network. And here's kind of where this analogy comes from. The Twitter analogy or the similarity comes in because content on Snapchat is short form content. So it's as short as one second and as long as 10 seconds. So the same way we're used to communicating in 140 characters on Twitter, on Snapchat, it's photo and it's video and it's very short. The YouTube comparison comes in because the majority of the content created and consumed on Snapchat is in the form of video. And again, it's short form video. So as short as one second or as long as 10 seconds. So think of your Snapchat account as your own YouTube channel with the caveat that content disappears within 24 hours of posting it to what's known as your story. So you can either create content a couple of different ways. You can either create content that lives within your story, which is a chronological compilation of your last 24 hours. So starting with your first snap, which would have been you know 24, up to 24 hours ago, starting with your last snap, kind of goes in a chron chronological order, you can use Snapchat that way to curate content, or you can also use Snapchat purely as a messaging platform. So to give you guys some context, I joined Snapchat in 2013. And the first year that I was on Snapchat, I didn't create any content. I used Snapchat purely as a messaging platform. I used it in lieu of text messaging. I would message my friends that were on Snapchat for a few different reasons that I found were extremely unique. One... I could send my friends a photo and a video snap via a message as opposed to a text, and that content would disappear, would go away. Those photos and videos would not be stored on my phone, so it wouldn't take up memory. The second advantage, which really drew me into Snapchat, and it still does, is that when someone opens up and sees your content, you can see that they viewed it. So if someone doesn't respond to you, you can say, hey, man, you opened up my snap, but you didn't respond to it. What's up with that? It's kind of messed up, which I'll, I'll say from a sales standpoint, guys, for any of you listening out there that are thinking about using Snapchat for sales or for social selling, it's a huge advantage of being able to see when people open up and view your content. Whereas in text message, as you guys know, you can very easily turn off the notifications and people won't know if you saw their content or not. So again, first years on the platform, it was pure messaging. Years two and three, where I'm at today, 
I'm using it to create content. So it kind of puts it in perspective for the newbies out there. You can either use Snapchat to just message, you can use it to create content, or you can use it for both in parallel. Have you used it as a, uh, a social selling tool? You know what? I actually, I actually have used it as a social selling tool. So I, um, outside my day job, I also speak at industry conferences. I also do consulting on the side and I've used it as a tool to be able to build relationships with conference organizers, as well as with other folks out there that I might be able to work with. And I've just used it as a tool to, for, to get to know others in a very much more humanistic form than sending a LinkedIn message or sending an email or sending a tweet. I think Snapchat really puts people in a position where they can step from behind the curtain and show a little bit more personality than what we just display um, through a profile photo, if that makes sense. So then what kind of content plays well on Snapchat? That's a good question. So I get asked often, almost on a daily basis from friends who are joining Snapchat, what sort of content should they post? And I'll say this, content is going to be unique for every single person on the platform. So based on the niche that you're in, based on the industry, you're in, or even how you envision on using Snapchat, the content's going to be completely unique. In my case, the content I create is a combination of social media, marketing, and business tips and 101 combined with just showing people who I am as an individual outside of, again, your Facebook, LinkedIn, and your Twitter. So um, again, that's for me. For you, it might be completely different. It might be centered specifically around your business and show your business behind the scenes and show the really cool stuff that your business does in the community. For the average user, it might be for them to passively show what they're doing with their kids on Saturday afternoon. So again, there's no right or wrong way to create content on Snapchat. Um, it's going to vary for everyone out there. Cause what would you consider to be a high value follower? So high value follower for me is someone that actually re uh, sees my content. So the metric that matters most on Snapchat is views. You can see who's viewed your content. You can see specific, a specific number of views per snap. So what I've done and what I encourage marketers and brands out there to do is really look closely at who views your content over and over. And in addition to go one step further, look at who's actually commenting on the content that you post. And over a period of time, these names are going to start to look very similar. And what I've done is I have added a emoji to those that view and comment on my content the most. And this is a way that I've used Snapchat to actually create my own CRM list. So anytime I have what I consider high value content that I don't necessarily post on my story, or I'll take it one step further, if I have a call to action, so let's say I just dropped a new video on my YouTube channel, I'll go to that high value followers list on Snap and say, hey guys, I just dropped a new video on YouTube. It would mean a lot to me if you could go check it out and share it with your network. So again, a high value follower, easiest way to go ahead and put it into context and describe it is someone that watches and engages with your content. Now, I know you can see all of the people who, as you mentioned, you can see all the people who are viewing your snaps. How do your followers comment on your content and how can you engage back? Yeah, so oftentimes when they see a snap in the form of video, most of the snaps I put are videos, they'll go ahead and they'll hit the chat button at the bottom of the snap and it'll send me a message, you know, almost like a caption in which I'll see the snap or the video above and they'll see the comment below or 
they'll just send me a direct message and say, Hey man, I just saw your snaps. Love it. A, a lot of questions come out of it. So again, a lot of the content that I personally put out there is much more centered around how do you Snapchat for business? How do you social media in your business? Um, like I shared with you guys before, I once owned a staffing firm when I got started in, in the game and social media. So I have this knowledge of using social media for personal branding and to find a job. So a lot of questions come my way. So it's, it's almost like a give and take. I give people a lot of information on a daily basis, kind of plants a seed. And then what I take from them is the engagement by a form of questions. And what's great about it is I've got down to the system where people ask questions and then I answer those questions as content on Snapchat. How important would you say follower growth is on the channel? I want to say it's important, but it really isn't. And what I mean by that is that the number that matters the most on Snapchat is views. And views isn't necessarily predicated based on followers. It's predicated based on the quality of the content that you post. So this is like anything else. If you post bad content, people are not going to keep back and keep coming back to watch your content. If you post good content, people will come back. They'll tell their friends and your views will increase. So um, what Snapchat has done, which is different from other social networks, is they don't have a metric associated with your following. So in order for you to know how many people follow you, you have to manually go through and count one by one. It's not an easy number like Twitter or like Facebook where they show your likes. And I actually think that's a good thing because it puts the onus on the end user to really just focus on creating content at the end of the day. So to answer your question, guys, while followers are you know ultimately important in the world of social media, what's really important is the quality of followers. And most importantly beyond that, is the quality of the content that you're creating. For one thing, a lot of our listeners are interested in content that can lead to a conversion. And with Snapchat, it's difficult to measure that because there's no direct links obviously involved. So can you give us an example of a good purpose or end game that using Snapchat can help someone accomplish for a brand? There's there's actually, you know, several different ways. And I want to just I want to address your your B2B question here in a moment for demand generation. But there's a lot of ways that brands can use it. If you're in, in hospitality and retail, for example, you can use it as a way to build employee advocacy. So you can give your phone to an employee who can essentially show what day in their life of, uh, at their job looks like, or they can go behind the scenes at the company to give people an insider bird's eye view to content that otherwise they wouldn't see on Twitter, they wouldn't see on Facebook. And that's the beauty of Snapchat is that content you create is native on the platform. And what I mean by that is you can't go and you know create content offline and then go ahead and post it to Snapchat. You have to use your phone and actually create content in the moment, um, which is really unique. But to answer your question from a demand gen perspective or for lead gen, you actually can use Snapchat. And what I advise anyone out there to do that's looking to use Snapchat for lead gen is give as much what I call freemium content up front. Give as much value through your snaps. Actually teach people how to do something. Traditionally, for demand generation, you would post out a teaser, an email, post a little bit of content, then get people to go back to your website. On Snapchat, actually create video content that inspires someone to take action or helps them be better at what they do if that aligns with your business or with your industry. And then overlay on the, on the screen, on Snapchat, a website where they can visit. And the most important thing here to make sure that you don't miss out on is to create a custom URL, which is going to be your tracking code or your tracking link. So if you want someone to visit your website from Snapchat, let's say your website is abc.com, make an extension at the end, which is forward slash snap. 
So now everyone that visits abc.com forward slash snap, you can see on your end, if it's Google Analytics, who visited that link. And you know, because you only gave that link out through Snapchat, that those visits came from Snapchat. If you run a home-based business, this is something that I talk about a lot for my friends out there that are solopreneurs and have e-com and home-based businesses and have coupon codes or have discount codes, which feature a, a unique code that you only give out on Snapchat. So your code could be Snapchat where you say, hey friends, I'm gonna show you our inventory of X today, or I'm gonna show you this product. And if you wanna purchase it, I'm gonna give you 25% off today, or I'm gonna give you free shipping. Use coupon code Snapchat. And again, you only give that coupon code out on Snapchat. So anyone that redeems it, you know came to you from Snap. So these are some, some pretty good suggestions and some pretty good ideas. Have you seen or heard of uh, any examples of campaigns that specifically a restaurant, bar, grocery store, uh, is using or could use? You know, a couple of examples. Um, one is uh, W Hotels. They use geo filters really, really well. And geo filters are um, you know, text or photo cre you know, created that's overlaid on a snap for those aren't familiar with it that anyone at a certain venue can go ahead and use within their snaps. So ultimately, W Hotels, they have these geo filters at all their properties globally. Anyone that uses Snapchat within the W Hotels property can overlay these filters and then they can create content that goes out to their networks. It's a great way for brands to now encourage user-generated content creation through those that are visiting their brick and mortar locations. Another really good example is actually uh, Chocolate Johnny. So he's watching uh, us on Blab right here now. Chocolate Johnny runs a um, chocolate business, hence his name, Chocolate Johnny, overseas. And he uses Snapchat really, really well. So he's someone I would recommend anyone out there, especially if you run a restaurant or if you have some sort of a home base or brick and mortar retail business, see how he uses Snapchat. And, and the key to success, guys, isn't so much in the product you're selling, but it's in the persona. And that's something that's really, really important to point out. Snapchat is a different marketing channel than Twitter or than Facebook. It's okay to go outside the box and actually show people what your offices look like. It's okay to just pick up your phone and if you're Nike, show an unboxing of a brand new pair of sneakers. Or if you're a restaurant, go ahead and show them what's on the menu today. I think that's how you inspire purchase through creativity. And I think Snapchat is the perfect platform that combines both. Let's dive a little bit deeper into geo filters. So Snapchat opened it up so that you can submit a geo filter of your own, but then they have to approve it. Or you can work with Snapchat to, to submit geo filters for a cost. Uh, is it cost effective for, let's say, a one-off restaurant to submit a Snapchat geo filter? It's extremely cost effective. So Snapchat geo filters tend to start off at about $5 per 20,000 square feet for four hours at a time. So um, I'd say for your average brick and mortar business out there, you can probably take over an entire retail shopping center for about five to 10 bucks for four hours. Um, so it's really cheap advertising. Um, I've seen this used here on a local level where I live in California for grand openings. So we actually had a ice cream shop that had a grand opening on Saturday and they had GeoFilter run for the entire day. And it probably cost them less than $20 to do that. So if you're looking for an inexpensive way to advertise on Snapchat and tap into their follower base and again, at a very geo-local level, you can't beat the value that you're gonna get on Snapchat. 
so th those are good for people who are, are experienced with Snapchat, maybe already have some followers, are already they're already already engaged in the platform. What would be some great ways for a person to promote their own snap code and screen name? So different ways that you can promote your snap code is uh, one, you can have stickers made or decals made with your snap code. In fact, I was going to show it to you guys. Um, since you're watching me on Blab, this is what they look like. So through stickermule.com, I had my snap code printed out on stickers. I bought like 100 stickers for about 50 bucks. And when I go to trade shows, when I was at South by Southwest, I was putting these all over the place on trash cans, everywhere you can imagine where there's visibility. If you're the average business out there, then you can purchase a decal, you know, just one decal if you want, and you can put it on the door of your business next to where you have that we accept Amex, Visa, and MasterCard and right next to your Chamber of Commerce decal. Uh, I think there's other ways that you can use them on menus. Um, put your snap code, get creative, put your snap code everywhere that there would be a, a, a touch point with a customer and you can print them out at different sizes. I think on your website where you have your call to actions to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, you can also have a call to action there that points back to your snap code. Uh, if you go to snapchat.com forward slash add forward slash your username, you can go ahead and link that to an icon on your website. So again, it's all about touch points, guys. And uh, anywhere where you're advertising that you have a digital and social presence today, you should be advertising that you're on Snapchat as well. So this, this gives me two thoughts. Brad, we're going to have to talk to some of our burger friends and see if they can print snap codes on top of the buns. Oh, that's clever. I wonder if that'll <laughs> that would be baller if you guys could do that. <laughs> Someone, someone's got to be able to do it. Like make a like a snap code brand. Yeah. Oh, like a like a searing plate or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're pretty rad. Uh, you know, another I think another good idea would be, and I literally thought of this as you were talking, Carlos. Um, a lot of bars can get uh, if they're pouring craft brew and local brews to get those breweries to make um, coasters for them. I, I have several on my desk here, but they can print their snap code on the nice. coaster. So every time somebody puts a drink down. There's the snap code. And it's become fun. It's almost become like like a gamified component. Um, I, I can tell you just from all the conferences that I visit or that I've gone to in the last six months or so, you know, people want to scan your snap code. It's almost like they're curious to reveal. They want to add you on Snapchat because they want to see what you post. And it's not as evident. But like if you go to someone's Facebook page or you go on Twitter, you can easily go and be like, oh, this restaurant posts some really boring stuff. But on Snapchat, again, let's use the bar example, Rev. Let's say that someone sees the snap code on a coaster. They can go ahead and add them on Snapchat. Now they can follow their favorite bar, what they do on trivia night. They can follow their favorite bar on Sundays when it's NFL, you know, during the, the, during the football season. I think there's different use cases for how consumers can use it. I think also for the business, you know, the main thing is you want to use Snapchat to humanize your brand. So I'm a big proponent of employee advocacy and, and starting off at the employee level. You don't need to have a fancy marketing director or social media manager use Snapchat, especially if you're a brick and mortar local business. Um, I'm a big fan of pizza, you know, so I go to a lot of local pizzerias here in Cali and I constantly am talking to these sole proprietors like guys, like get on Snapchat. It's so easy for you just to go ahead and take your, your phone, your iPhone and while someone's making a pizza, just show the process of making a pizza. Like you can, you can create a minute worth of content, which is six snaps or so. You can do that every day and it just takes you a minute out of your day, but it makes your community that's watching at home feel so much more connected to your local business. And I'm going to give you guys another kind of Mac Daddy Snapchat marketing tip. 
you don't even need to post just content about your business. You can post content that's centric to your community. So I'm here in San Francisco. We had different festivals and events and things happening every single weekend or almost every single day. So if you're a local business and you really want to brand yourself as being hyper local to your community, get involved. Snap from a basketball game or from a baseball game. Snap from a local art festival. Use Snapchat as a way to make your community feel much more connected to your brand. Snap codes are obviously one way to follow people who are on Snapchat and find cool accounts. How do you find new Snap? How do I find new Snapchat accounts to follow? Um, a few different ways. One, I created a website called Snapchat.directory. I created this about six months ago. So it's a free website. You can go on there. You can add yourself. I go on there every single day and see who's adding themselves to the directory. Um, there's another. Uh, there's an app out there called Ghost Codes. It's really good. Um, I'm listed on there. I, I go on and I follow people on a daily basis as well. And I tell you what, man, just through having conversations with people, uh, somehow or another people find me and uh, they see my content, they like it. And then we get engaged in the conversation and uh, I, I tend to follow people back uh, that way as well. So there's no shortage of people to follow on Snapchat. Uh, I'm finding out. I've heard you tell the story before. You ran a pretty successful Instagram campaign around promoting your own account. Can you can you talk about those details, including like what it costs, what kind of results you saw, stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I did this as a test. I am a big proponent of growth hacking. Now, I want to go ahead and preface by saying that this was only a test. It was not purchasing followers. I am not a proponent of that activity, but I am a big proponent of, of, of growth hacking. So what I did was back in February, I ran a Facebook and Instagram ad. I spent $50. And what I did was I targeted Snapchat users that were between the age of 25 to 34. I know this is the target demographic of people that my content really appeals to. And it's a big demographic that I'm looking to go ahead and, and, and have follow me on Snapchat. So anyways, I spent 50 bucks. My ad was seen on Instagram and on Snapchat or, and on Facebook. I want to add that my ad was also optimized for just mobile. So you could only see my post on a mobile device and it had to be an iPhone 6. So again, let's go through it. 25 to 34 years old. You live in the United States. You like Snapchat's Facebook page. You have an iPhone 6 and you only see my app, or I'm sorry, my ad from your mobile device. I spent 50 bucks. I gained over well over 100,000 impressions and gained over 1,000 new followers on Snapchat. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Would you do it again or have you done it again? I have not done it again. Absolutely, I would do it again. I would encourage any brand out there that has a marketing budget and is looking to get on Snapchat and grow their followers really fast, use paid social, run, use paid ads. We saw brands do this a lot back in the day when they were starting up their Facebook pages. We saw them do it with their Twitter accounts. I think, why not Snapchat? The key is to be extremely targeted. And again, it's not buying followers. It's just putting an ad out there. It's, it's no different than advertising a product that you might be selling on your website. It's just saying, hey, add us on Snapchat. So have you spent money in any other way to market your code? Um, I've spent money on promoting my YouTube videos that have my YouTube uh, or have my Snap code in them. But that's it. I've just run a, an ad on Instagram and Facebook. And then, like I said, I bought these stickers on Sticker Mule. <laughs> we got to get that. And we got to get the, uh, the, the, bar, the bar coasters happening as well. From a, from a top-down perspective, what do you think is making Snapchat such a force of nature? Like, why can it not be ignored at this point? 
but forget about how many people are on it and how many use but like what is so attractive about it well you know it's, it's hard to ignore the people aspect because i think at the end of the day people are the ones that run social media it's not brands so i've been a big proponent as long as i've been using social media professionally which is eight years now of going where the people are and it's you know being a fast follower of where the people are going because you want to jump on these platforms early enough to grab market share and it's a tricky slope because i'll give you an example pinterest was a platform where i got on there early and i i failed fast and realized this is not a platform where my target audience lives and this is not a platform where i'm seeing much business value so I got off of Pinterest almost as quick as I jumped on. And I think the same thing works for Snapchat, works for any social network out there. So if you want to put yourself in prime position in front of millennials, which over the next decade plus are going to be the primary income earners and spenders globally, Snapchat's where you got to be. If your business really doesn't care about millennials or even Gen Z, because you might sell a product that just doesn't appeal to them, then Snapchat probably isn't for you. And that's okay. Snapchat's not going to be for every business out there. But again, if you want to tap into this demographic, then it is your challenge to find a way to make your brand relevant for them. So if, if I'm hearing you correctly, Snapchat is no different than any other social network. It sort of has its own purpose and its own audience. And if that audience can fit your branding goals or your marketing goals, whether you're a brand or a, a persona, then that's why you should use it. And if it doesn't fit those goals and it doesn't fit your audience, then you should move on to something different. Correct. Absolutely. You know, a lot of, a lot of marketers out there, I've read a lot of articles over the last few months that usually lead off with something along the lines of, if you're going to be on Snapchat, forget about everything that you've learned about social media marketing. And I think that is so misleading for the general public out there because I'll be the first to say, and, and again, guys, I was saying question everything. So feel free to push back on me if this doesn't feel okay. But I have a philosophy that social media is all one in the same. They're just different channels. And what I mean by this is that at the end of the day, you should be looking to use these channels to drive awareness and conversation around your brand, to drive people back to an own channel. And the key is one, to be on the platforms where your audience is. So this goes right back to what I said before. If your audience is not on Snapchat, stop here. If your audience is on Snapchat at all, continue to move forward. So on Snapchat, it now comes down to content. What makes your brand stand out and what makes your brand relevant that's going to make the audience care? And that's not Snapchat thing. That's social media marketing 101. Start off with identifying where your audience lives, create content that's relevant for them, engage them in conversation and dialogue, drive them back to your website or your newsletter or somewhere that's an own channel. Because guys, this is all rented land that we're operating on. So the end game is not to keep people on Snapchat. It's not to keep them on Facebook. It's not to keep them on Twitter. It's to send them back to your website. Or in this case, you guys have a network. You have a lot of people that listen to you that own restaurants and own businesses. You want to bring them into your business. You want them to eat from you. You want them to spend from you. You don't want them to just follow you on social media. So, you know, what I want to say and add to that, guys, is Snapchat's just now the new hot channel where a lot of millennials are tuning Facebook off and they're tuning in on Snapchat. So if you are like most businesses and brands out there that's struggling with organic reach and engagement because it's become a pay-to-play game on Facebook, give Snapchat a hand. 
So, okay, I want to dive into that word organic for a second. Do you think it's a better practice for a brand, let's say, to operate on Snapchat as though they're a brand or to have a face for their brand that is an individual that represents them on Snapchat? Because I think we see, especially with like DJ Khaled and the Kardashians and all them, that individuals really do well on Snapchat. So does it feel organic for a brand? I, I think it feels organic. So I look at organic content as you know, Snapchat is, is a good definition of that. It's you know, brands showing what's happening behind the scenes. It's Kim Kardashian's DJ Khaled showing what happens a day in their life. I think non-organic content is a lot of what you see that's produced on TV or even on YouTube. Does that help answer your question? But just going a little further, do you think that, you know, we mentioned a, a restaurant could show what's going on in their kitchen that day or, um, you know, Nike could do an unboxing video. But do you think it would behoove a brand, even let's say like Nike, to have a person that represents them be the face of Snapchat? Well, I think ultimately what Snapchat's doing is it's changing the game of how content marketing is done. So traditionally, content marketing has been created or content typically is created offline. It's created in-house at an agency or a studio, and then it's it's uploaded. So the brand doesn't really have a relationship or the consumer doesn't have a relationship with the brand. The consumer is just seeing content. And where Snapchat's changing the name of the game is that ultimately, Snapchat forces brands to put a face and a voice behind the content they're putting. Because let's, let's face it, if you're, in a, if you're in a restaurant, you're not just going to show a burger being cooked. You're not going to show like a juicy burger without saying anything. You have to say something. And people want to know, well, who is this person that's speaking to me? So Snapchat takeovers is something that I think you're going to continue to see a lot of. And what Snapchat takeover is someone who's influential, someone who's a consumer, someone who buys from you. In this case, with you guys, it might be a foodie. Someone has a food blog that you're going to give them access to your Snapchat account. They're going to go into your restaurant. They are going to essentially document the whole experience. Soup's nuts. And it's citizen journalism at its best, I think. Uh, I think it really takes content marketing again to a whole nother level uh, that we have not seen up to this point. I like that uh, influencer takeover idea a lot. That's definitely something uh, I'm going to start recommending to people, like, especially in New York City. I'm sure it's similar to where you live, but we have food influencers who are on uh, Instagram 24 hours a day and they're not really quite yet getting into the Snapchat. And that could almost take any restaurant and just sort of, you know, augment their, their profile right in there. That's not true. Every Instagrammer has a Snapchat also. I'm, I'm saying like from the, it's not translated to the restaurants yet. So I, feel, I feel like, you know, with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, maybe even a blog, you know, once a restaurant or bar, or even a brand, they, like they post some content, you know, it could be a photo, recipe, you know, behind the scenes, like once they post it, they kind of feel like they can't post it again, right? That's, they've done that. They're not going to revisit it. Um, but that sort of leaves followers behind in, the, in their story. Do you think that Snapchat makes repurposing content almost smarter and easier? I think what Snapchat does is it forces consumers to keep watching your content, keep coming back for more. And I think that's really what sets Snapchat apart from any other social network out there is that there is this, what I like to call stickiness factor that you don't see on other social networks. Because let's face it, if you miss out on a brand's content today and you really like that brand, then you've missed out on what could be some potentially really cool stuff. Whereas with Twitter and Facebook, you can always go back and see it now. The flip side to that, and I've heard this from a lot of marketers out there, why they're skeptical about getting on Snapchat is they all say the same thing. Well, content disappears. Why am I going to create content if it's going to disappear? 
My challenge to them is think about yourself and think about the brands that you follow on social media. And I want you to tell me when was the last time you went to any one of these brands to see what they post on Twitter a week ago or even yesterday. Tell me when was the last time you went to their Facebook page to see what they posted a week ago or yesterday. Chances are you won't be able to tell me. And the reason why is because it's all about real time. We all as consumers operate in real time. We get our content in real time. We see it. It's great. We move on. And I think Snapchat, again, it forces consumers to go back and actually see what people or what the brands that they follow are posting. And once it's gone, it's gone. There's no way to go back and see it. And I, I see that as a strength. I actually see that as something that's you know, more positive than it, is, than it is negative, quite frankly. We kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to go a little bit deeper. Specifically to somebody who's a marketer, what kind of analytics are actually available for Snapchat and where can people find them? Yeah, so the analytics that matter on Snapchat are views. I shared uh, this uh, with you guys earlier in the podcast. So when you create content, you can go in to your story. You can tap on a button. It drops down all your stats and you can see the number of people that saw your content. So views is the metric that matters. You can also see screenshots. So if you say to your fans, hey, screenshot this snap that contains a coupon code, you can then measure those screenshots as actions taken. Ultimately, the action that's going to matter is a conversion. But let's say that you are a restaurant that wants to offer an exclusive coupon that you only give out on Snapchat. And you have to screenshot that snap and bring it into a restaurant. You can now measure that action. So a combination of views and, um, and, and screenshots are the metrics that matter, with conversions being the ultimate holy grail metrics. Before we wrap things up, you mentioned that you're a big pizza guy, but now we want to know what kind of a burger guy you are. We ask all our guests this question before we go to wrap. <laughs> what was your favorite burger from childhood? When I was a kid, man, I loved Burger King. It was a double bacon cheeseburger with fries that I would put in the middle. But uh, now that I've grown up as a kid, I've, I've cut out Burger King and I do, I do like the, like the real stuff. I love gourmet burgers. Um, anything with barbecue sauce. Typically I'll go to a restaurant that I'll get a, a bacon cheese or bacon cheddar has to be cheddar. Very picky when it comes to my cheeses. Uh, but I'll get a bacon cheddar with onion strings and then barbecue sauce. A lot of uh, restaurants call that a cowboy bacon burger. I think it depends where you're from out here. They the call rodeo. it the rodeo. I've heard, I've heard that thing. too. Brad, Brad will share you with some, some love with you on the Burger King. That was his, uh, made his, me very his childhood. Um, oh, it, made me, it made me chubby too. But they also <laughs> had really good toys as well. Man, I was a bigger fan of the Burger King breakfast than I was the dinner, but they kind of got rid of all the stuff I liked. Anybody remembers the I, omelet I don't nuggets. remember the Those omelet nuggets. I remember the French toast sticks from breakfast. Those were good. I that think they might amazing. still have them. All right, Carlos, what was the last You know, I actually you went ate? to Fuddruckers over the weekend, and I had a half-pound burger with guacamole, and instead of cheese, or instead of like the, the sliced cheese, you know how Fuddruckers has like that squeezed cheese that typically you put in the fries? Yeah, so I put I put so that good. all over so the bun good. of the burger on the inside, and then it had the guac and like big, thick, juicy patty. So I was just at Fuddruckers a couple days ago. Well, you get big points for mentioning Fuddruckers on the podcast. Uh, that burger is supplied by our sponsor Woo! and my employer, Schweidenson. So nice. Uh, there you go. Good, good call there. Um, now that we're on that happy note, uh, Carlos, if you could give just one piece of advice. 
to someone in the food marketing business, what would it be? Show show the back ends of your restaurant. That could be that could be scary for some businesses out there, but um, you know, just be transparent. That's one thing that resonates a lot with with Snapchat users is uh, transparency and humanizing your content. So I would take one item on your menu and I would make it a challenge over the next month or over the next year show how every item on your menu is made. And I think you can actually turn this into engaging content on Twitter and on Facebook. You can say to your followers and your community on these channels, you know, today we're making chicken Parmesan on Snapchat. Go check it out and actually show people the steps, you know, take your restaurant and take your Snapchat account and turn it into your own food network. Why not? Uh, people love DIY and, uh, is it DIY? Yeah, they do it. actually DIY. DIY. Sorry, <laughs> DIY. people love to learn how to make stuff, so teach them. And uh, I can tell you, if I was still working in grocery at Winn Dixie and Save a Lot, that's how I would be pushing uh, my teams there to be using Snapchat to show people how to make stuff. Brad, you know who I think Carlos would enjoy following? Smacks. Oh yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, you got to follow Smacks Burgers and Shakes in Sarasota, Florida. It's a okay. single location burger restaurant. Uh, but they are, they are owning the Snapchat game. And I mean, like I said, they repurpose a lot of their content, but it's just fun to watch. Some days it's, uh, they, they, they take political stance on their tip jar. Some days it's behind the scenes on how they make their food. Sometimes they just give the camera to the chefs. Like it's, it's everything that you've laid out today. Uh, and it would be from my perspective, one of the best examples of how a restaurant could use Snapchat. I think you would have fun following them. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Where can people find Yeah, you out can uh, actually you? add me on Snapchat. We've talked a lot about it here today. So it's thecarlosgill.com. I also set up a couple of different websites. One is snapchatforbusiness.com as well as snapchat.tips. So you can go to those sites um, on snapchat.tips. I have a link to my YouTube channel, which has a ton of tutorials and free content. So be sure to check that out. And then uh, snapchatforbusiness.com. Um, right now, it's a landing page that you can see a recent webinar I did. I'm actually in the process of building out and developing that as a uh, resource. It's going to have a lot of content for, for people that want to learn how to leverage Snapchat in their business. So be sure to check both of those out. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.